0: Well, like I've said the last two weeks in a row uh, about this money series, we're not doing this money series because we are hurting financially. We are actually doing really well, so well that we're bringing on a youth pastor, right? Um, I also want to reaffirm just a couple things that I've always said at the very beginning of this message, but I'll be really quick about it. I don't know what you give as the pastor. I do not know what anyone gives, and no matter what you give, you are welcome to be here. If you want me to expand on that, then you should go back and watch sermon number one and two. We talked a little bit more about that. If you're, um, you can listen to that on iTunes, you can look it on our website under the archives, you can go to YouTube. Uh, As a matter of fact, click here to watch last week's sermon and click, no, not really, it doesn't work that way, Uh, but make sure to smash that like button subscribe. Okay, I'm just kidding. I don't even know what that means, it's just whatever those crazy YouTubers I watch with my boys, whatever. Anyway. Why are we doing this series? Because money is spiritual. I think we made the case for that over the last couple of weeks. Um, we want to see, as, as a pastor, my job is to, to lay out these spiritual things to help us to grow and to live out our destiny that God would have for us. Um, and see, God has a plan to work in you and through you in this area, I'm convinced. No matter where you are, and I understand there's people at different places. You may be saying, man, I'm living this Journey of generosity, or I'm just I'm I'm just working on faithful commitment and steadiness. Some of you are saying I'm just taking the first baby steps of what it means to align my faith and my finances. And I know that in a room like this, there's a chance that some some don't believe in this Jesus stuff at all. And I'm so glad you're here. This message really is geared towards those who say I am a Christian. But I hope that as you listen to this message, you would hear not just principles about money, but you would hear the good news of the gospel, because the good news is really what this is built upon. Let me just give you a real quick reminder where we've been, and you'll see how these things relate. First of all, uh, week one, money is spiritual, and how you handle it reveals your heart. It's kind of our base introduction to this series. And then last week we talked about tithing, how it's not about obligation to an old law, but it's living a new life. That Jesus actually replaced the Old Testament command to tithe with a greater commandment of generosity. And that living generously is actually far more risky than living under the law. As a matter of fact, living generously may make some of us want to go back and live under the law. Because the law was our comfort zone. But living generously will push you out of your comfort zone. Now, before we dive into today's text, and today's text actually is that text from Matthew chapter 6, so you can, you can turn there uh, and hold your finger right there, because we're going to be right there, but our bumper video shows that verse, and, and we're going to actually finally hit that verse, and I've referenced it, but today we're going to dig through this whole passage. But before we do that, I really want to say something, um, and I want you to hear me on this. Let's, I, w- I want to make sure that before we look at this text, because this, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says some really hard things. He says some really brutal truths. He's calling out the the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. So he has some tough things to say here. But I want to make sure that we have the same lens going into this, that our hermeneutic is on the same page because um, hermeneutic, that's a fancy word. I paid a lot of money for that one in Bible college and seminary. But I want to make sure that we approach Scripture and that we're looking at it at the same lens. And that lens is through the gospel, through the good news. Because I'm afraid that there is another lens you can look at scriptures like this, depending on the home you were raised in or maybe the church you, you grew up in, there, there is the lens of guilt and shame. And, if you, and this, this passage, if you're, if, you have, if you're prone to guilt and shame, you're going to find it in this passage. I want to I make sure that we don't look at this. This is not Jesus laying a guilt trip on anybody. This is not Jesus shaming anybody. This is Jesus speaking some serious truth. See, the gospel lens allows for us to look at his truth. And it, there's a misconception sometimes about grace. And it's that, well, grace changes things so that we can be okay. No, grace affirms truth, but it gives us hope. See, guilt and shame says, we can look at this passage with guilt and shame, kind of that predisposition and we could say, oh, man, I don't do this. That thing that Jesus says to do, shame on me. I should probably beat myself up. We don't actually say that, but we just go ahead and beat ourselves up. Or we'll say, oh, I do this. And shame on you because I'm better than you because I do this that Jesus said. Because pride and shame and guilt, they're all related. But the gospel then says, man, I don't do this. I don't do it as well as I could. I don't do it as well as I should. Thank God for grace. Thank him for the grace that brings forgiveness. Thank him for the grace that allows him to patiently walk with me as I grow in my faith in obedience. Thank you for grace that's transformed me to be more and more like his image. Listen, when we can quiet the voices of shame and guilt, we can better hear the loving correction and encouragement of the Holy Spirit. We sang a song, "Holy Spirit. You're welcome here. He's here. Let's hear his voice. Could you turn with me, Matthew chapter 6. I mentioned this in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says some really strong things, um, but through the lens of the good news of the gospel, through the grace that is shown to us, truth is affirmed, but we have hope. Look at this, Matthew chapter 6. Now, we were in Matthew chapter 5 last week, so you'd think we're maybe doing a series on Matthew. Don't worry, we're still in the middle of John. Starting in verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. And you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Life isn't more than food, and your body... cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Some of your translations say pagans. And the the church says, ouch. Ouch. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today, today's troubles is enough for today. Let's walk through this passage starting in verse 19. Um, don't store up your treasures here on earth. Have you noticed the word treasure a couple times when we, when we read that? What do you think this passage is about? Treasure. The word treasure shows up again and again. This passage is about treasure. Jesus says, don't make earthly temporal things your treasure, make eternal things your treasure. Now what's he talking about when he says treasure? We're going to define treasure here in a moment. But look at verse 21 really quick before we dive into what treasure means. I, I referenced this a few weeks ago. What does verse 21 say? Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. You remember a couple of weeks ago when I did reference this, I said oftentimes we get this backwards. Like we, we can quote it correctly, but functionally we think of it as, well... My heart is on something, therefore I'm going to throw my money at it. And that we think it the other, we we think of them as possessions and money as being our treasure, but that's not the case here. He says, "Where your treasure is, you will put your heart. And where your heart is, yeah, your money will follow. So will your energy, your effort, your attention, your care, all the things that you're, that involve your heart. Will go towards what you treasure." There's a quote from a, a guy, and it's actually the big point. It's the, uh, I normally like to quote my own main point so you can quote me, <laughs> but I'm quoting somebody else. It's this, as sure as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. If you get nothing else, that's it. Your heart follows your treasure. And we're gonna talk about what that means in, in light of the rest of this passage. Now let's define that treasure. If treasure isn't our money, our resources, our, our stuff, our energy, what, what is treasure? Treasure is defined as whatever it is that you look to to fill your heart. Treasure is where you put your confidence, whether that's your career, your status, your family, or your security. If I could just have this, fill in the blank, then it will all be worth it. And then I will be worth it. See, there are so many things that we have in our life that tries to define us, competes with other things to define our life, those things, of the competing treasures. The Lord of the Rings, you ever read the book, watched the movie? Some of you already know where I'm going with this and you're in your seat going, precious, yes, that's where I'm going with this, but just let me get there. The Lord of the Rings illustrates how the heart follows treasure. The one ring that rules them all being the treasure. Everyone who possesses that ring calls it what? Precious or precious in some form or fashion. Yeah, precious. And those who possess it will pay any price to keep it, and those who lose it will pay any price to get it back. You've seen that illustrated. You've read it. You've watched the movie. Movies. Why is that? Because whoever possesses the ring is actually possessed by the ring. You are enslaved to your precious, and at the, at the center of each one of our hearts There is a precious. Verse 24. Look at it with me. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Wait a minute, Jerome. Wait, wait, wait. You tricked us. You jumped right over verses 22 to 23. Anyone thought that? Raise your hand. I'm disappointed no i mean really i did i skipped over it on purpose um not because i don't want to deal with it but because i want you to see the the flow from verse 21 to 24 now i believe 22 and 23 probably uh didn't have to be there but jesus put it in the middle of these things but it flows look at this Verse twenty, verse twenty, or verses nineteen through twenty-one. There's two competing locations for your treasure. There's earth and there's heaven. Verse twenty-four. There's two competing treasures. There's God or there's money. Now we're going to get. I promise you, we'll go back to verse twenty-two and twenty-three. But I just wanted you to see that that flow here. Now your Bible may say money, if you have the Bible like mine, which is the uh, well. Mine says enslaved to money. The New Living Translation is what I read. Uh, if you have another translation, ESV, it says you can't serve both God and money. New American Standard, you can't serve God and wealth. King James Version, version you can't serve mammon. Well, what is mammon? Mammon is the actual Greek word that shows up there. And English translations have to make a choice. Do we translate it or do we just carry it over to English and say, look, the English word mammon. But in Greek it said mammon. But you know what's funny about that? That's called transliteration. You know what's funny about the word mammon that was transliterated into English? It's actually an Aramaic word, the language Jesus spoke, that the Greek authors, I mean, they wrote, uh, Matthew wrote, the New Testament was written in Greek. The authors of the gospels transliterated the Aramaic word into Greek, and then that word carried over into English. Mammon, 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 you get it? So what is mammon? It's translated in English as money, wealth, enslaved to money. And why would, they, why, would, why would these gospel authors not just translate the word mammon into the Greek word for money and wealth? They translated all the other words into Greek, right? But th- this one they carried over because I believe they understood, inspired by the Holy Spirit, or even Matthew, standing there listening to Jesus on the on the Mount, they understood when Jesus wasn't just talking about money, he was talking about this, this idea of mammon. And mammon in has a, uh, well, mammon, as we see it, is personified as a rival for our allegiance, for our loyalty, for our heart to God. You're gonna be a slave to mammon or a slave, I mean, who's who's gonna be your master? Mammon wants to be your master. It carries a negative connotation. It's gluttony, greed, dishonest, worldly gain. Essentially, it's the idol of materialism when money and possessions are your precious. I promise I could say the word precious without trying to sound like Gollum. That's, that's mammon. I will do it. Now let's go back to verse 22 and 23. We'll come back to this in a moment. Verse 22 and 23 is a strange illustration where Jesus seems like he just got distracted and he starts talking about this. You know, if your eye is dark, then you're in darkness and I mean, what he essentially says is, listen, if, if, if your eye is dark, then you are in darkness. Even if you're standing in a room that's full of light, you are in darkness. While you think you might be in light, you're in darkness. And that's what verse 23 says, right? And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is, how deep deceived and confused and blinded, you really, really are. Jesus, Jesus is making us aware of something. He's making us aware that materialism, mammon, that unhealthy desire and lust and, and for and, and, and greed, that it blinds us to its presence in our life. We think we treasure one thing, we don't even recognize the presence because we are blinded to it. Not everything blinds us to its presence. Like Jesus has to warn us, like you might be greedy, you might be materialistic. Look at, really quick, don't look, but just Luke 12, 15, Jesus says this. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by what you own. Jesus warns us, don't be greedy. Beware, you might be greedy. You might be materialistic. But you know what Jesus doesn't warn us about? Beware, you might be committing adultery. You know why? Because if you're committing adultery, you know it. It's not you're like, oh my goodness, you're not my wife. Oh, I didn't know that. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Jesus has to warn us because materialism has the power to blind us to its presence in our life. Now, if you don't believe me that materialism blinds us to its presence in our life, let me ask, don't raise your hand on this, but if I asked who here would say they're materialistic, probably wouldn't have very many hands raised. I bet you there'd be no hands raised. Most of us didn't walk in saying, Lord, today I pray that you would deal with me and my materialism. Nobody walked in here saying that because most of us think we're not materialistic, which means we are blind. I'm not calling anyone out. I'm just saying, if a room full of people, not one person raises their hand, then someone's got to be blind. Not me. It's you. I mean, you know, <laughs> you want proof that, you know, here's the best thing. The thing about materialism is you could always prove that you're not materialistic by knowing somebody who is. Like somebody who has more stuff and enjoys their stuff more than you, you'd be like, psh, that guy's got a boat. Who's materialistic? Not me. You guys have two boats. And a jet ski. I'm actually calling somebody out right here, but that's just fun. Anyways, listen. <laughs> just know somebody who's materialistic, and you could always say, oh, I'm not materialistic. I'm really not saying that person's materialistic. Please forgive me. I just... Listen, materialism has the power to blind us, and then according to verse 24, it has the power to enslave us. And while we think we're free, we're really slaves. Since we're blind to the fact that we're slaves, we think we're free. Matthew, 20, Matthew 6, verse 25. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Just like the very beginning of this passage where we saw the word treasure, treasure, treasure. Now we see the word worry, worry, worry. He's not changing themes per se. I mean, there's a slight shift in his focus here. But what he's about to do is, is, is lay out examples, give illustration of what he's just taught when it comes to treasure. So we're talking about treasure and worry and how they are related. That's why he starts the verse with, that is why. He's not, he said, oh, by the way, totally new subject, that is why. He's dealing with where we place our treasure and which master we serve, the things we've already talked about. And he's saying essentially, when you have this kind of commitment to me, you don't need to worry. When you put your treasures in heaven and you serve God as your master, not mammon, you don't have to worry, he's got you. He illustrates this by giving us two illustrations. And I think these illustrations are beautiful. What are they? Birds and flowers, right? Do you know those birds and flowers kind of parallel the things that we set our heart on? The birds, and they eat, they drink, they're fine. God takes care of them. What are the different idols that we have in our life, the different things that we put our hope in or look to security, just like the birds are secure, we we look for security in our paycheck. We look for security in what we, I mean, we look for security, right? He's saying, you're not going to have security like God has for you, that your treasure, our treasure is not God himself, but but security, or, or maybe our precious really is control, and the ability to control. And then there's the flowers. They're, they're, they're beautifully dressed. What's, what's that reveal about our? I mean, wh- how does that align? How does that parallel to us? That we treasure significance and status. Maybe our precious is approval. You've heard sermons about this particular passage, just these few verses and we could elaborate on them, but I think the illustration's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty straightforward. As sure as the compass needle follows north, your heart follows your treasure. Heather and I were, are like committed Honda people, but then, for five glorious months, I owned a Toyota Tundra pickup truck. And guess what? As I drove down the road, I noticed everyone else's Toyota Tundra pickup truck. And I waved at them as I drove by. And I read websites on like forums for people who have Tundras and how they fix their air filters. And I, and I served that Tundra. It's really supposed to serve me. But I invested in that Tundra. And then I moved to Indiana and someone crashed me. But whatever, crashed into me and destroyed my tundra but my heart followed what i treasured and so did my resources my energy and my attention you get it as sure as the compass needle follows north your heart will follow your treasure so what if that's true then what do we do what now well let's keep reading because i think jesus says what now in verse 31 so don't worry about these things this is the therefore This is the answer to, so what? God's got you, so therefore, don't worry about these things, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear, these things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries, and today's trouble is enough for today. We're going to give you a couple of practical walk-away steps with this. There's just two things I'd like for you to do in response to this message, but first I want to give you a test. This is the test to determine, does, does money have power over me or have I got this thing knocked out? Cause like I said, most of us did not walk in here saying, oh, Lord, help me. I'm materialistic and money is, I'm enslaved to money. Let me, let me take a step back. Remember, we're doing this through the lens of the good news of the gospel. The truth of the matter is I wake up some days and money's got a hold on me. And there's days where I wake up and I'm like, money's nothing. So nobody's hitting this. No one's batting a thousand. No one's hitting this right every single day, or every single hour or moment. There is people who there is a pull for our allegiance, a pull for our loyalty, and there's ways in which we can continue to invest in the kingdom and have our heart on the right side of this thing. But let me give me the test. Question number one: How do you view rich people? Do you resent them and their boats? Do you feel superior to them? Because look at those rich people and their materialism. I am superior. If you do, then you might have a money problem. Like it might have a hold on your life. The opposite's true. If you envy them, oh, I wish I... Had that, money probably has a hold on you, has power over you. Not, not, not every day, not every moment, but just in those moments, those thoughts. How do you view rich people? Fortunately, we live in a place where there's no rich people to be seen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the next question is, how, you, how do you view poor people? Because I don't know if you know this, but if you live in Hamilton County or just outside, By many measures in this community, especially if you want to measure it to the rest of the world, you are the rich people. But how do you view poor people? Do you respect them? I respect them as humans, but do you feel better than them? Yeah. If you feel better than them when you drive inside 465 and drive wherever that is, there's some big houses in 465. I'm just saying, when you drive in those neighborhoods, if you feel better than them, then money might have power over you. I heard a quote that said this. The higher economically we get, the more we say, you're below me. Not you're below me economically, but you're below me. We hate to admit that. It's not the right thing to admit. That's why we call it admitting. But don't we do that? Lord, forgive us. So here's what we do. Exactly what Jesus said to do. Seek the kingdom first. Let me remind you through the lens of the gospel, not guilt and shame. This is not get better, do do better, try harder. This is not a locker room speech. This is not 30 minutes for the rest of your life. This is not like, you know, you've been doing it wrong, do it better now. Seek first the kingdom. Put another way is to live in light of the gospel. Because when you live in light of the gospel and you understand who you are and whose you are, what you've received, then Jesus is your treasure. For those of you who feel like, I feel far from God, come right back to the cross and watch Jesus rise more and more as your treasure. Because when you treasure Jesus, it frees you from the power of money. The gospel frees you from being enslaved to money. How does the gospel free us? Well, let me me give you just a, a couple of summaries of the gospel. You've heard me say this, that, On your absolute worst day, you are deeply loved and accepted. And on your absolute best day, you're still a wretched sinner in need of grace. I've heard it said this way, probably more eloquent than your pastor, some other person's pastor. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe, and you are more loved than you ever dared hope. See, when we grasp that we are more sinful, when we grasp our wretched sinner in need of grace status, it prevents us from feeling superior to anyone, rich or poor. When we grasp that we are loved on our worst day, we are loved beyond what we can dare dream, it prevents us from feeling superior or inferior to anybody, rich or poor. See, the gospel puts you in a place where you don't really care about money anymore. Don't don't take that and exaggerate it with, like, oh, I don't care about money. You, you've got to pay the bills. You've got to feed your family. You've got to watch Netflix. I'm just saying, I mean, there's life, but it, it, it's in its proper place. It's not dominating you. It's the tool that, that God's given you, not just for your enjoyment, but for you to be A blessing and impact others which leads us to the next thing when 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 the power of money no longer has a hold on you the next thing you should do is give it away I know you thought that's so predictable for the preacher but listen go back and watch the introduction to week one it's not about me trying to get your money I hope you know that by now I know you do it's people who've missed week one and two that don't know that Giving is the antidote to materialism. We often think that if we, like, if I have a desire for something, my materialistic desire, if I could just get that, oh, that would satisfy my craving. That'll scratch the itch, and I won't have to desire for more. But what that really does when you get is actually just kind of feeds wanting to get more, right? Those things that we think if we get, we're going to all of a sudden, ooh, now I'm satisfied. Don't need any more. Now we're like, that felt good, let me get another one because this one actually doesn't feel as good as I thought it would feel, so I want something else. Giving is actually the antidote to materialism. Giving kills it in our life. And the people who give it away, the people who view it in light of the gospel. See, when money no longer has a hold on you, you get really generous. It's a lot easier to give it away. But it's not always easy. I mean, you're looking for opportunities to give to friends, to family, to strangers, to the poor, to the church. You're looking for those opportunities, but it's not always easy. I would say in addition to giving it away, give it away sacrificially. I've already mentioned the gospel message that Jesus treasured you. You're his precious. And just like Gollum, who will do whatever it takes to get his precious, Jesus does whatever it takes to get you, even death on a cross. And then he calls us to pick up our cross and follow after him. Now, oftentimes we think of taking our cross and following after him as like, relationally. Oh, Pick up my cross and deal with that person. Do we not? 99% of the time, it's, oh, I gotta pick up my cross and be nice to somebody who I don't want to be nice to, right? But is there any cross in our life economically? What about carrying our cross economically? Giving sacrificially, responding to Jesus the way he responded to us. Giving away enough money that it actually kind of cramps your lifestyle. If you can give away enough money that it doesn't affect your lifestyle whatsoever, then I don't know if there's a cross that you're carrying economically. I know, that's like a new concept. But uh, that, that's why last week when we talked about tithing, I, I didn't want to set a new law. Jesus struck down that law from the Old Testament and said, here's a new law of generosity. And I didn't give you a percentage of what generosity meant. Because for some people, generosity means 9%, and some people generosity means 50%. Generosity. The standard is not a percentage. The standard is the cross. That sacrificial response, just like Jesus' responds to us. If Jesus is your treasure you'll love the rich. If Jesus is your treasure, you'll love the poor. And if Jesus is your treasure, you'll be giving your money away joyfully. And God loves a cheerful giver. May we be cheerful givers. May Jesus be our treasure. Would you pray with me? Father, we we sit here in this moment after looking at your word, not to look at your word to gain knowledge, not to look at your word to hit other people over the head with it, but we look at your word and we look at our life. And the good news is that we look at the cross and then we could look at our life and it's not really about us but it's about what you've done for us and for that we are thankful thank you for the grace you've shown us we fall short and yet it's through your grace that you've begun the process of transforming us into your image that we may pick up our cross and follow after you that we may Give like you gave. That's a ridiculously high standard. It's daring and it's risky. And as a pastor, I I don't even know that I want to put that in front of the people because it seems absolutely impossible. May you, Lord, help us to step closer and closer to that through your grace, your empowerment. Above all else, may we treasure you, and may our life flow from that treasure, because our heart follows where our treasure is. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.